1: Hello, and welcome to the Audible extension for Oriental Empires. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm joined by my co host, Troy. Hey. And our guest today is Joshua. Hi, everybody. So, let's, uh, right before we begin, let's uh, talk a little bit about how we're going to do this. So, I'm the one who wrote the review for this Roll Reversal. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> both Joshua and Troy were very crucial in the editing. They're not the only editors that were involved, but they're on this podcast. They are we're the most
0: important editor.
1: They're fine, fine, and the okay. most modest
0: as well.
1: Yeah, modesty. That's all you, man. All over you. So, <laughs> um they are. They also played Oriental Empires during the beta. That their key, the keys that they had, let them play in the beta. Now I don't know if your guys' keys are good for the full release. So. It
0: is. I'm just lazy. Ah, okay. Yeah.
1: All I still right. Have well, it. Okay. Well, very good. So, how we'll do this time around, since I'm the one who wrote the review, why don't you guys just hit me up with some questions? I'll do the best that I can to answer them and we go from there.
2: All right. Well, Nate, we always ask this question first of whoever writes the review. So, what did you leave on the cutting room floor that you wish could have been in the review?
1: Hmm. So. I don't think that I left anything complete on the cutting room floor, meaning that it wasn't like whole sections of the review were not discussed, but oh, yeah, you know what, there there are a couple of things that I was light on, for example, talking about uh, resources. I didn't go into as much detail as I could have gone into, and I had a discussion comparing um, farming factions to herding factions, but I didn't really go into as much detail there. And another thing that I didn't go into crazy detail, well, probably like th- the way taxing and the economy works, I didn't. But, All But right, well, uh, explain taxing right now. What's that like? Well, like us, you get taxed. <laughs> and? <laughs> and you make Wait, do You get
0: taxed, or are you taxing your people? Are you being taxed by a larger lord, or are
1: you? No, 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 no. You are. No. Okay. Good point. Okay. So what you're doing? So okay. So I guess within this, I can actually talk about several things. So let's first begin. It doesn't really matter which faction you're playing, whether you're a herding faction or a farming faction. Each one of them has pref- their own. um not so much playstyle, but what they're good at. So, for example, the farming factions, they're stationary. They uh, need better land, because obviously for farming, and they also generate more income. So, once you have several cities up, hopefully on good land with some resources around them, that you actually start, once you build the appropriate structures within your cities, you start an internal trade between your cities and that's how you tax based on the goods based on um, what the specific goods how much how many cities are trading so that's how you're generating your economy now with a herding it's a little bit different because with herding uh, you don't need as good of a land because for the for the herding factions they they need more territory they can have uh, the farmlands doesn't have to be as good. I mean, this change this can be done later through technology, but at least in the beginning, so you make less money as an income because of you're generating less money as the herding factions. But at the same time, you are less susceptible to some of the issues that the farming factions have, which is like stuff like they have a lot of issues with flooding, and at least in my plays playthroughs, flooding was often something or fires, or you had stuff like droughts or pestilence, it's less likely to happen with the herding, at least when I played those factions. And then another thing is, is that with herding factions, your military is a little bit different, but you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So now let's talk about the Lords. So within the game, you have, you don't have like in a lot of 4X games, you can have multiple heroes that can be like a military leader. Or maybe a governor or something like that. Here it's not like that. Here you have your main so-called hero. It's not a hero per se. This is your candidate to be emperor. And then usually they have a successor. Sometimes you might even have a second one. Or maybe there's an event that grants you a second one. And that's what happens. So it's not like, for example, a Civ game where you have a leader that's alive for 6,000 years. You know what I mean? That's that's one of those things where you kind of have to suspend this belief is like, how is it that, you know, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln is alive for 6,000 years or George Washington or whomever, you know, Teddy Roosevelt. How is that? Here, it's not like that. The leaders, they come on, you know leader lives their life, they die, the successor takes over throughout their life to have to uh, gain experience, be it through combat or through trades, how they govern the cities, how they interact diplomatically with the other uh, Chinese factions that are around you, with the other familial groups, you know, depending on which age, you know, you have different priorities. So, That's kind of what I didn't go over too much in the review. The more, I guess, the specifics to that. I mean, do you want to know more? Do you want me to go deeper on that?
0: Gosh, Nate, how
1: do you make a successor? Well, that's the thing is you don't make one. Is there a mini game of some kind? No, there's no mini game. It's what it is. It's it's, okay. So Bob Smith, the guy who is the lead developer for this, for those that might not know. (laughs) Bob Smith? Yes. All right. I'm pretty sure that... Let, let me make sure that I'm 100% well, sure. Just,
0: uh, <laughs> no, you're right. It's Bob Smith.
1: It's Bob Smith.
0: A very <laughs> so, generically named Bob Smith. Yeah.
1: He, is, he was a producer, designer, developer for a bunch of the early Total War games. That's why Oriental Empires has a lot of similarities to the Total War games, but it is a true 4X, whereas Total War games have 4x elements and some games have more other games have less especially the earlier ones so what he did with this game and we actually had him on an interview back in the day rob and i interviewed him and we had him on an interview and we we're asking him questions and whatnot and that that'll that was linked that's linked in the review that can be linked in the notes to this audible extension if somebody wants to hear it you know kind of jump back and listen to what you know the exchange that went down but the thing is is that oriental empires has elements of a 4x game where you know explore expand exploit exterminate type stuff turn based elements but then it also has the real-time elements of the total war games now that's another thing that i i kind of mentioned in several different spots but i didn't like, pick a section and just focus. How is it similar to Total War? How is it similar to 4X? How is it different? And I it's more interesting to discuss it, I think, than it is to write about it. So, the elements that are very 4X-like are the research tree, the expanding, the exploring. You have the Goody Huts or in, this, or in Oriental Empires, it's encounters. You have your hero units. You have your resources. You have all that stuff. Your tech tree, you know. But then how it's different, how it's like total war is what happens after you do all that stuff. When you press the end turn, all your units, you give them orders like, okay, I want you to move so many tiles. And they will move as many as they have movement that's impacted by the terrain type, that's impacted by their movement speed, that's impacted by where they start and where they finish as far as the terrain type and things like that. Are there roads there or not? And they'll move. And once – so basically you assign a bunch of orders and you – hit and turn, and then all the units on the map move at once. Your units, the peasant unit, the bandit units, the other factions. So that's that's the element that you kind of have to keep in mind, that if you are, let's say, moving something to one spot and another unit will be there, then there's going to be an interaction between the two units. And in in short, they're going to end up fighting. Now, your leaders... You don't pick them. It's not like in a lot of 4X games where you have like, uh, you know, you can pick one of these 10 different people to be your leader. A lot of this game is, there is some historical context to it. So you're not going to have, you know, a Japanese leader to a Chinese faction or you know, an Indian guy or somebody from the Americas. You know, it's going to be an, an Asiatic leader that comes from a family group in that area, and you don't really get to pick that person. Now, if you have... So in my games, I had an event where a hero, like a local you know dignitary was like hey i would like to join your group i'm very good in blah 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 and then at that point you can have your main leader and then you can have the successor and then you have that other guy who's a potential successor too but that's it there's no mini game where you get to you know uh make your leader with his wife or concubines or whatever you know it's none of that that's not that kind of game this isn't leisure suit larry
0: chinese had that yeah what was that massive chalice had something like that massive chalice yeah. had that or even uh, um oh what gosh was the, the fire failed emblem <Duck>. games, to some extent The yeah, fire, fire emblem,
1: emblem. Uh, the failed Stardock fantasy game what was that elemental, uh, uh, elemental war of magic that Great was part. actually one of my favorite parts of that is that all you need you had your one starting hero and all you need is to find the hero of the opposite sex and then you make that's it from then on you don't need to hire heroes you make your own heroes you know it was it was a cool mechanic. But anyways, yeah, so, so this is Nate, when yes. there are
0: multiple successors like that. Is there anything speaking of other games and other genres? Is there anything like we have with like Crusader Kings or things like that where there's infighting or there's um political you know, intrigue with multiple
1: successors? No, I I don't think so because I've I've in all so I've played it now for like 70 plus hours, I don't know. I yeah. have like 50 something hours with me being with my, with steam being online and another 20 to 30 hours offline. And in that whole time, I've had only two occasions where I've had two successors and at no point did an event come up where one successor was more viable than another one. But here's the thing. So since we're already talking about heroes, heroes have a couple of different stats that are important. So first of all, you have something called Qi or gi. I, I think it's in the game, it's QI. So I'm not sure how it would be pronounced, but like, it might anyways, be chi. chi, I guess. I, that's the thing. I, I don't know how it would be pronounced. So I'm just going off of that. And that's like their honor.
0: Yeah, that's definitely Chi.
1: So as things happen, their honor and experience So that's two different counters. So you have the one experience like that's combat-based and then the other one that's chi or ki or whatnot that's based on how they govern. It's based on, you know, how they behave themselves and things like that. So you have, remember how I mentioned you have these encounters? So there's different types of encounters. There's some encounters where it's like a learned, an an old learned person, a scholar who's like, oh, I can educate you and I can teach you some stuff for so much gold. And the trade-off for that is, you get higher chi or key. Do you see what I'm saying? So maybe if you have two leaders, two successors, the one with a higher chi or key is the one who's going to get picked. But again, it didn't happen to me enough times for me to be able to make that distinction. I'm sure if I look online, I'll find somewhere that says it, but I don't want to count on somebody else's words, you know, yeah, as understand. to how yeah. it works.
0: So I, I want to go back to something else you were talking about, Nate. Sure, sure. Um, you were talking about how you felt like the the battle aspect of Oriental Empires was closest to uh, the Total War series as yes. far as borrowing from that. Yes. But you also talked about um, the way that when armies meet, it sort of happens between turns, almost like between panels of a comic book. You finish your turn, you click and turn, and then the armies meet. So how much strategic control... Right, because Total War is very much about you know you control your armies down to the minutia. How mm-hmm. much strategic control do I have over my armies in Oriental Empires? And then based on that, how much did you feel like there was like a strategic combat aspect to the game? How much did tactical um, application uh, uh, apply to your ability to win?
1: Okay, so Total War. A typical Total War combat scenario is probably... So, I'll use two games as examples. I'll use Endless Legend and I'll use uh, Age of Wonders 3. So, Total War is more like Age of Wonders 3 where... I mean, uh, yeah, Age of Wonders 3 where you are you have a lot of control within the combat. Like, you can take your formations and you can wheel them around and you can try to get them to, you know, they have certain orders and you're like, okay, you highlight them in Total War and you're like, okay, go there. And you there are flanking
0: bonuses, there's bonuses for elevation. I mean, you can really get into it.
1: Right, like fighting in the woods, fighting on open land, what kind of unit is a cavalry unit, is it, you know, is it... like a chariot or something like that. So I'm not going to talk about the Warhammer games because, you know, that's not fantastical. Oriental Empires is not a fantasy-based game. So I'm staying away from that. But so talking about something like Rome or something like Shogun or something like that. But anyways, the point is, is that in the Total War games, you have quite a bit of control, at least perceived or implied control. Now, in... Endless, in like Age of Wonders. So Total War is more like Age of Wonders. Now, in Age of Wonders, you have way more control than you do in Total War. Like, literally, heads heads above. But Oriental Empires is more like Endless Legend, where you tell your unit what you would like it to do, and you can even assigned to it a particular tile to do it from if that tile is not occupied so let's say in combat you're like okay i want you to attack this unit over there and i want you to do it from this tile and since you're a cav- this endless legend since you're cavalry if you move so many tiles you get a bonus to your damage because it's a charge there you go so oriental empires is closer to that than it is to age of wonders three which is full tactical combat but huge difference huge difference and What the difference is, is you assign several different types of orders to your units. So, you can, so within the review, I listed these orders. I actually made like a bullet point. This is one of the sections that I really did go into more detail because, I mean, that's what people really care about. So, I listed, so there's One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different types of attacks. And each stuff like attack, charge, harass, outflank, ambush, defense, support, withdraw. And each one of those has a different purpose. Now, in the Total War games, you have variants of this, but if you leave it up to the AI, all kinds of weirdness happens, weird pathing issues. Like you have, this is why I think I like the combat in Oriental Empires better than Total War, because the combat AI is better. Excuse me. So in Total War, let's say you have a couple of ranks of units, like you have archery units, ranged units. A lot of times in Total War, these ranged units, like, they're like, oh, I got rifles. Nah, I'm just going to bayonet them. Why would you do that? Why not stand behind the front unit and just shoot at them? Why would you just rush right in, right? If a cavalry unit hits you, you have no choice, but why would you give up your advantage for ranged combat to go hand to hand where you're weak? In Oriental Empires, there's a lot, a lot more. The AI plays better, and when you assign unit, it makes more sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. So a unit that is really good at ranged combat, you tell them stuff like harass, meaning stay kind of far, stay stay back. Don't rush right in. And a unit that's good in close combat, like an Axeman, for example, or Spearman or something like that, You you or Swordsman, you're like, okay, engage in hand-to-hand, tie them up. And then your range units can get at them, you know. Or cavalry are really good at outflanking, right? So those are the units that you want to outflank. Or you have units that are camouflaged. So you can have them. So here's the other difference. So recently they made a change in total war for reinforcements to make more sense. But within Oriental Empires, reinforcements based on which tile the army comes in is where the reinforcement comes in. So you can set up ambushes if you have large enough army your flanking units come in from the back, your front units engage them and your rear units hit them. Now, here's the key difference. In total war, you have fine control of that. It's almost like an RTS. Highlight, assign it, a key shortcut, do this, do that. And you can try to do the micromanagement, right? And then you hope that the AI knows what the hell it is you want from it. In Oriental Empires, you don't do that. You can you can make a decision as to how many rows this uh you So it's not a single, a unit is composed of multiple people. So you can say, I want it to be two by six or something like that, or three by four or something like that. You know, I want it in a column. I want it in a row. I want it wheeling around. You can give it all kinds of orders. Then you can give it orders based on, you know, what it's best at. So do you want it to... In a withdraw formation, so it looks like they're running away. So any unit that's supposed to engage that ends up chasing them. So you're almost forcing them, you're kiting them, and then you have your reinforcement hold back for a turn and then hit him. So, Oriental Empires, in my opinion, is a lot more tactical, like as if you were a general. You know, you give your orders and that's it. You know, there's no magic involved. They didn't have walkie talkie cell phones, they couldn't like communicate hey, hey you're, I'm standing on the hill. What are you doing? Turn around, do something else. You give your orders and, you know, you have your flags or however it is you communicate and that's it. At that point, the engagement is out of your control. One round of combat happens. And depending on the veterans here in the unit, depending on the health of the unit, depending on the conditions, depending on the morale, a unit might break. So another thing is the units, they don't fight until everybody's except like for convict units, which I also talk about in the review regular units don't fight until there's nobody left standing you know so that plays a role too so like you have peasant units and then you have the um you have lord units then you have like the bodyguard and stuff like that so there's all kinds of different interactions going on there so hopefully all that answered your question a little bit. so nate
0: you said that you feel like the ai in oriental empires is better than what's in total war are you telling me that this is a game that actually has good ai
1: as far as combat goes it has it's pretty solid you from time to time you have some wonkiness so th- it does happen because you have all kinds of terrain issues sometimes like a bunch of different terrains and an army with mixed units that they're like you know they're trying to fulfill your orders but it doesn't quite work but in total war you have all kinds of issues, all kinds of issues, like they just don't make sense. There's too much going on, and the people working on the AI there—they have there are too many units, too much variety. It's hard to program. In Oriental Empires, there's a closer focus. So I think overall, like the combat AI, I think in Oriental Empires is better. Also, the diplomatic AI, I think is better because the diplomacy in the game is light. It's not like super it's not like you have a thousand different things to do and you don't have color that's the one thing the diplomacy here is missing that that the color interaction you know so like if you're playing something like romance of the three kingdoms there's going to be a lot of insults and a lot of boasting and things like that you know thrown around like in any game any game in that genre you see this whereas in oriental empires it's not quite like that here it's like what do you want you know it's like you're calling customer service what do you want? Okay, what do we need to do? Great. Let's do it. Goodbye. It's very straight. There's there's some stuff you can do but like everybody pretty much says the same thing. There's no everybody sits on the throne the same. The the backdrop changes, their outfit changes a little bit, but otherwise it's like, you know, that that's one element where they're missing stuff. They don't have even even a game like like Stellaris for example that in appearance might not have a million things the color commentary the things that they say that's what gives the such depth It's like each species each alien each government type each whatever you know there's so many different things and there's all this interaction here it's like no it's it's very uh, clinical but yeah. is
0: the so unlike uh, say civ6 though is the ai i don't want to say predictable but does it make sense do you feel yes. like you're getting rational answers from a somewhat rational ai
1: Yes. If the AI doesn't like you, you will be attacked. If you're weak, you will be attacked. But the AI is not going to backstab you for nothing. If the AI backstabs you, it's because a different AI made it a better offer. Huh? If Oh, good. look. Like, check it out. He's engaged here, here, and here. If we join forces, we can take him out, and then you'll have somebody betray you. But it won't be like in Civ, where your best buds for 20 turns. We love you, we love you, we love you. And you looked at somebody, you gave somebody the side eye, and everybody denounces you, and all your allies for the last four and a half thousand years turn on you. That's the problem with Civ is, like, the AI is schizophrenic. It's not like that here. But it doesn't have the same flavor. You see, even in Civ, there's flavor, some flavor. Oh, yeah, Not, not like Stellaris, you know, and definitely not like Endless Legend. So Stellaris has even more than Endless Legend, or Endless Space, I guess.
0: So would you say overall that the exterminate aspect of uh, Oriental Empires is the strongest, or do you feel like there's a, a better um aspect and when are you having the most fun is it the exploring i remember the exploring being kind of flat when i played it in the beta
1: yeah the the exploring is i mean you here's what you have to think about first of all this is so compared to this civ 6 is a fantasy game right or civ period is a fantasy title because the goody huts and the discoveries and all this stuff, it's kind of like in the barbarian spawn. Believe well, even something like, like the
0: way religion works in those yeah,
1: games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here it's not like that. Here it's very much like like a hi- history simulator. So it does not necessarily have the color of like a Civ game. But it's more, I, I suspect it's a lot more historically accurate. That probably lends to why some people feel that it's dry. But it plays like, I mean, think about it. If you're a Ch- you know, a familial group or, you know, a, a faction in China 3,000 years ago, right? At the beginning of their, or the, the middle of their Bronze Age. What are you out there for? Are you out there to go and hang out with these other guys? No, you're fighting for land. I want this land because I want to grow my city state. You know, I want the best crops for my people. I want to get strong and I want to conquer everybody. So that's kind of how the game plays. So it's definitely a war game. This is not, it doesn't have the exploration that space games have. It doesn't have the exploration the fantasy games have. We don't have too many 4X games set in like historical times. I mean, right now we have the Civ games. We have um, Aggressors, Ancient Rome. That's a 4X right there. It's it's probably more similar to that. We have um, John Schaefer's At The Gate. That's another game that's, probably has a, you know, like has a historical leaning. So that's how this is. So explore is fine. You know, you're not going to find any super cool goodie huts, but you know, on an encounter, you could find something interesting. Like for example, you meet courtesans, you know, and some of them are like, Oh, let's go have some fun. They don't, you know, you spend some time with a courtesan somewhere for a couple of days and you come back kind of disheveled and your men don't respect you anymore. (laughs) You've lost, you had a great time. But you've lost respect. But do I get a
0: successor out of that?
1: Good I don't question. know if I don't know if you get a successor out of that. But you suffer. You're definitely going to suffer in the next couple of battles, or for depending on what <laughs> happened. Depending on what happened. Why? Why? Because you lose key, and as a result, you lose the loyalty of your men and you lose morale. They're like, "Oh man, this guy's a clown. This guy can't keep it together. How are we supposed to follow him?" You know. So I would imagine that that's probably it's, it's probably ties into the mechanic of. You know, how one successor defeats another one without actually going to combat with one another. Shouldn't you know?
0: they be more embarrassed if their leader's in incel? <laughs> <sighs> Let's
1: not even
0: bring 3,000 yeah, years. Down we can't go down this Three... road. I apologize.
1: Listen, listen, 3,000 years ago, that wasn't even a concern. Of course. 3,000 years ago, a 12 year old can rule an empire or a kingdom. Right. And at a 14 year old, you were having kids. And by the time you were 30, you were already on your way out. You've been a king. You. How old was Alexander the Great when he conquered? Well, how old was he? Mid twenties to late twenties. By thirty, he was done. You didn't have a lot of people living to the sixties and seventies. That was like what? That's insane. That's my great 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 grandpa. It's like how old is he? Sixty yeah. two. You know. So Alexander
2: the Great died at thirty two years of age.
1: And what did he accomplish in his lifetime? A, how, a
2: lot of uh, raping, murdering, pillaging.
1: No, no, no. It's called colonization. Please, please yeah. use the...
2: <laughs> that was a great game too back in the day. Um, <laughs> well, so yeah, go me, ahead. Uh, let me ask you this. When I was playing Oriental Empires, I mm-hmm. was phenomenally unimpressed with the tech tree. It seemed like four out of five techs, or maybe even five out of six, were just a plus bonus to this or that thing. Was that ever rectified before launch, well, no, I played it, it even after launch. Has that been recti- rectified since?
1: Not really.
2: Okay, so let me ask: Did that was that a detriment to your enjoyment of the it, game? How did, you know how did why that affect your enjoyment?
1: It didn't, and I'll tell you why. Because in a lot of games, you can only research one thing at a time. That's true. as if, as if, like, think about it. Like, let's take civilizations again. I'm not beating on it because oh, it's a whipping horse. Well, it's think, the I biggest it's one out there.
0: On the list of games that you're going to compare Oriental Empires to, I think it makes a lot of sense to talk about Civ 6.
1: Right, because it wouldn't make sense if I'm talking about Age of Wonders 3 unless I'm talking about the combat. Right, right. So, Civ 6 as the current iteration of the game, not because of Civ 6 just the the most recent version of Civ 6. So, when you research something, right, you You can research one thing at a time. Maybe you can create, like, I want to research three things. Or maybe you want to research something that's further down the research tree, right? So you have to research all these things to get to it. And each rung on that tree or each branch or each end point on that tree gives you two or three different things or one thing sometimes right so if you research writing you get a bunch of different things or if you research uh i don't know archery you get a bunch of different things or if you research this or that or whatever chemistry you get or mathematics or whatever you get a bunch of different things in oriental empires it's different you have four tracks for research and There's certain tech that has overlap between two different tracks, meaning like, for example, you need power and you need knowledge in order to get something between the two. So until you research those two, you do not get the final product. But you don't really have, it feels like plus one or plus two, but it isn't really plus one or plus two. The only plus one that it does is to authority and to culture so you need that plus one to authority in order to keep your people in check so you don't have revolts from your presence so that's part of the mechanism for for happiness in the game so as your authority increases you know your lords your royalty are not royalty your um so so your nobles there you go your nobles are like they want authority you know they want to have a strong figurehead, but the peasants are like oh too much authority is bad. They, they whip us. You know we don't get a break. Life is terrible. So you know there's a balancing act. You know so you have culture and authority. So culture is like it's kind of like how it is now. Like think about it. Think about the U.S. in the '60s. Part of the reason why we went the the NASA got so much money was of course we were competing with the Soviet Union who gets to space you know, who gets that nomination. But in reality, it's also the everyday person wants to wave the flag and say, America, you know, we got to space first, or we got the blue jeans, or we got the best music, or we got, that's what the Olympics are, you know, things like that. It's culture, you know, cultural victory and all the other games. Speaking of which, let me explain cultural victory in a second. But that's kind of what you had there. So that's what the tech tree did. So when I'm looking at Oriental Empires, I'm looking at it as a war game. I'm looking at it. What do I need to do to be the best at warring? Well, I need to have a certain amount of cities. I need to have a trade network up. I need to have good resources to supply the war machine. My population needs to grow. Because, like, for example, in a Civ game, right? Once you hit a certain point, the only real that like the only real stop on how many military units you have is how many citizens you have, right? So let's say you're, you have three cities and between the three cities, you have 45 citizens or 45 population points or whatever you want to call them. So that means you can support a a total of 45 units, anything after that. And you start taking massive penalties to your income, massive penalties to happiness. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. So some, some of the civilizations get bonuses like a warmongering civilization. That's not as big a deal. Whereas a civilization that's a pacifistic one, it's a really big deal. Well, in Oriental Empires, it's different. So you can't just immediately start making settlers. I want to just flood the map with the units. You have to build up your city. You have to have food to support your city so your city grows. If you send out a settler, your growth slows down because you're sending out part of your economic machine, you know? So that's what these texts are for, these different branches, is that you can research, for example you know, religion or some aspect of religion. Then you're researching science, some aspect of science. Then you're researching some aspect of culture, how to make clay pots or how to work with jade or gold or whatever. And you're researching, in power, you're researching military. Okay, I want better units, improved units. I want technology, which you need from knowledge. So you got this constant jumping back and forth. And I think if you play the game for a few times and don't hyper-focus on it, it grows on you. It's not a bad system. It's I like it. I wish more games put that kind of thought into their tech trees. But more a lot of games are fantasy and sci-fi and they don't really need to, you know?
2: Right. I see what you're coming
1: from. So no, it doesn't take away from it at all. At least not to me. Uh exploitation. The the weakest part in my opinion by far is the hero system because there's like no flavor there. And diplomacy. For the same reason there's a lot going on you can do a lot you can bribe so okay let's talk victory conditions so let's talk about the cultural victory so the way cultural victory goes is you need 50 points of culture victory points and this you accrue through research like oh you research you've discovered this you discovered that you know your people are hoity-toity you know so there's that but in most games it's a hard number. Like, okay, you need to have the most in this many turns, or you need to discover structure A, B, C, and D, or this religion, or that act, and that's it. You have won everybody over. In Oriental Empires, it's not like that. That's part of it. You need to hit this threshold, but then you need fifty percent of the number two guys. So it's you competing usually with somebody else. So if you have if you have um you know, if you beat out this guy to number one, but he has 43 points, that means you're going to need another 22 points of cultural victory points to beat him. So if he's keeping up with you and he's generating new cities and or she, well, it's all he, but I mean, if it's a different player, you know, so let's say the the other leaders generating new cities and building structures and building building monasteries and building um like temples and things like that. So their cultural points keep growing. So you have to keep up. It's not going to be like, oh, first one to 50 wins, you know, and that makes that victory, I think, interesting, makes it a lot harder, you know, or or another victory type is a mandate from heaven. Like you are the chosen, you know, you are the emperor. And the way that works is 75% of the populace has to see you as that. So even though you might be from a different faction, you're all technically China. You know, and it's just like it's it's like a 10 party election system where 75 percent of the electorate gets to say we want him to be our leader. And if he's our if he's the leader, boom, that's it. You're the emperor of China. That's different. You know, that's that's not like, oh, you got to conquer all the cities Oh, you got to do. You see, that's typical. There's that, too, or wipe out everybody, you know, but that's not as much fun, I think.
0: So, Nate, I feel like this is another of the standard sort of explorminate questions.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, what would you add to the game?
0: If they were going to do an Oriental Empires expansion, if you were if you were in Bob Smith's shoes, what do you feel like you'd like to see them add to it?
1: Mm, better diplomacy. It's just, it's so flavorless. I, I, like, I like the events from the encounters. There's some really interesting ones. Like there was one where uh, it's in the review. I think it's in the, no, I didn't put it in. I left it out, but it was a fun one. Like there's a merchant and like you're... On the map, it shows you where the encounters are. So you don't know what's going to happen. Like when you step onto that tile, you get a notification. There's an encounter ready. You click on it and something happens. Sometimes you get robbed by a bunch of really good bandits. So they steal like... 200 gold, 500 gold, whatever. You can't do nothing about them. They kind of snuck into your camp at night, <laughs> stole all your stuff and took off. You know, other times you meet a scholar or you meet a cartographer, or you meet a farmer or something like that. But then there are other times where it's like the person tells you, oh, you know everything. I can't tell you anything. You know, the I can't teach you anything new, you know, and I would want more events for that. Like that would be an easy addition. Now, since this is a historical game, it wouldn't make sense for them to start adding units that didn't exist there, but maybe more variety to the cities because right now the way it is, you cannot build every structure in every city, but there are certain structures you have to build because if you don't build, your city doesn't upgrade. And if your city doesn't upgrade, then you can't, it doesn't grow. So maybe things like that maybe have. Now, here's the thing. I don't know. Like I know in China, a lot of villages and things like that. But in the game, it's not really represented. So you don't have those villages. You, you'll you have angry peasants roaming around. You might have a revolt in one of your cities. If uh, the population is very unhappy with you, if the discontents just you work them too hard. You don't give them amenities. You are not taking care of your people and then they revolt and you lose control of the city, you know, but you know, more stuff like that. That's, that's kind of what's not in there. And then like maybe a little bit more depth in the heroes. Like that would be very interesting if you can, like if you have successors, marry them off into a competitor and then, you know, or not competitor, but into a faction you're dealing with and then create a bond that way. So maybe it's there and I just didn't see it. I don't know. I cannot say this for certain, but I've played enough hours that if it's there, I didn't see it. So that's another thing. The game has naval combat, but I never really engaged in any naval combat. I don't know why. It never happened. Never saw a reason for it. So maybe develop that a little bit further. But I mean, this game is pretty complete. This game does not need like expansion after expansion because the time period it is in, all the systems are in, you know. There's no like religious conversions because they're not talking about any other real religions. They have the major religions that were in China, but they don't. there's no discussion of Christianity in there or Islam or anything else like there is in Civ because this is focused on China and Mongolia, you know, and that part of Southeast Asia. It's not really, I mean, I, they might maybe add Japan, uh, Korea, I don't know.
2: All right, that sounds pretty cool. Um, what was the least pleasant aspect of the game for you that you that you played was it was it diplomacy because it was so flat
1: yeah yeah like it it was serviceable it worked but there's nothing interesting about it so you know how you were talking about the tech tree and you're like it it wasn't it didn't interest you well yeah for me the tech tree is like combat compared to diplomacy so you see what i'm saying yeah so the way you feel about the tech tree, I feel about the diplomacy. It's very blah, meh, who cares? You know, it's there. I need to, I'm tired of fighting, so I guess I'll acquiesce or you can vassalize and things like that, you know, but still it's not, I don't know. It it felt like it needed to be there, but it wasn't anything special. So I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I enjoyed a lot more kind of moving my, my pieces on the board as it were.
0: I got
2: you. I mean, uh, it is Josh. Uh, it's a war
1: game.
0: Yeah, Josh. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, we said before that you can't really compare it to Age of Wonders three, but I actually think it, it's you kind of can. It sounds like it's very similar in that way that it's a very combat based four X.
1: Yeah, but you see, Age of Wonders three has heroes.
0: Right. No. No. It has heroes. It's a fantasy. It's it's got no, magic. No.
1: No. 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 Forget fantasy. Forget fantasy. Forget magic. It's not about that. Age of Wonders three has heroes. You have hero led armies. You can have multiple heroes. Yes. You know, your your if your leader dies in Age of Wonders 3, right? It, it's that's it. You know what well, I mean? Can,
0: the leader leader dies. Yeah, you can resurrect the other heroes or they Anyway, um,
1: here so the- your leader dies then the successor. Your leader can die. Your leader will die. You know, successor takes over, but you cannot have, oh, I'm going to have 15 different successors leading my armies. You don't have that. In Age of Wonders 3, you have the Goody Huts, you know, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But what you have is you also have the independent cities. You don't have that here. In Age of Wonders 3, you have like these spawn points where monsters are spawning from. You don't have that here. You see, so there's the similarities are maybe in combat.
0: Well, in the sense that it's very, it's combat based, it's combat focused. You're not winning with uh, a magical wonder. I mean, Age of Wonders three added that later on, but at its initial launch, it was basically your options were to take over the world or to take over the world, and that was the game. That's the kind of vibe I'm getting from you about uh, Oriental Empire.
1: Well, like I said, you have the cultural victory. Sure. So that's for cultural victory. You don't need to fight per se. You need to have enough army to keep your enemies from taking you over or you need to use diplomacy which is very viable in that case to create these temporary pacts to protect yourself but you can't be too weak because if you're if the members in your alliance or pact see that you're weak they'll turn on you you know i mean it makes sense this is how it was historically why switzerland for example so immune to these things because of geography it's very difficult to fight a war with switzerland at least it was then nowadays nobody needs to land ground troops over there you want to get rid of switzerland send a couple of bombers there'll be nothing left you don't even need to target the cities just hit the mountains around the cities the avalanches will wipe life out in switzerland so switzerland has to offer something else to them but at the same time every adult in switzerland is a conscript. Every adult has, there's mandatory military service. So if should something happen, they can at least to some degree defend themselves a little bit. Well, in Oriental Empires, it's kind of the same thing. You know, you got to have enough armies to be able to withstand some assault. You know, you got to be able to provide goods. You got to do something, you know. So as you're growing your culture and trying to win that way, you don't necessarily – do, you can have a nice trade network internally. You can have a trade network externally, you know, I, and I talk about that in the review.
0: All right. So this this next question is going to be kind of a landmine question, and I apologize. I'm just going to ask it. And, Troy, mm-hmm. this is where you're going to want to cut right about here when you're editing okay. the podcast. Because I, I'm not sure whether this is appropriate or not, but I'm going to ask it, and we'll we'll see where we go. Okay. Um, we've talked a lot about the fact that it's supposed to be historically appropriate, right? None of us here on this podcast are are um of Chinese descent, so right. I think we're a really poor group to be asking this question of. But whatever, okay. I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Do you feel like the game is appropriate culturally? Is you know, there's a very thin line between you know, sort of honoring a culture and trying to tell a story of those people. And what we would consider cultural appropriation. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to accuse anyone of anything because, again, I don't. I don't really have a good answer for it. But I do feel like it's something that we ought to make an attempt at discussing. Do you feel like it's respectful? Do you feel like it's appropriate, or okay. is it sort of that's using a good that question?
1: Work? That's a good question because, first of all, um, this game was not developed in the Western Hemisphere. So he moved out there now. During the interview, we asked him and he told us and he's either in Singapore or Thailand or somewhere like in the east over there working with developers that are from there. So this is not made by a bunch of people working in Chicago. I mean, there could have been people working in Chicago, working on it. You know, this is the planet is big, but everything is with globalization. Everybody's interconnected now, you know, but the majority of the stuff and they had. Historians Now, before I fully answer, it, let me tell you this. It is difficult to answer because, and I mentioned, I actually talk about this right at the beginning of the review. When the Communist Party came into power in China, especially after World War II, when they really came into their own, they went back and they started destroying the history of China. The history on the emperor, all the all the historical stuff, they destroyed it, they culturally appropriated it, because that's how the communists do. You know, they destroy, and then what's left, they integrate into their lore, and they create something new. And they tell you, if you speak out, you're done. You'll never be seen again. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your dog, and the bird that likes to fly by your balcony, all of you will disappear. So they were doing that. They were destroying historical evidence, stuff that was about—I mean, China is an old— old nation. I mean, their history goes back thousands and thousands of years. They had scientific advancements that just, look, during the imperial times, if they wanted to, they could have conquered the world. They had the technology, they had the population, they had the experience to just spread out and conquer the world and when i say the world i'm not talking about the east i'm talking about europe i'm talking about africa they could have conquered everything they had the biggest most powerful navy they had the beginning of firearm that the west did not develop properly for another couple maybe another 150 200 years it would have been the same thing as when the the spanish landed in south america in south and central america the way that they small groups pretty much conquered them be it through disease, which played a big role, but also through their advanced weaponry. They did crazy damage. Well, China could have done that to the rest of the world, but they didn't. They were like, look, you know, we're going to focus on our thing. They burned down their fleets. We're done. That was happening in the imperial age. So in this game, you get the feeling like China's not being disrespected. I, at least I'm not of Chinese descent. I do not know this. I cannot say this with certainty. But if you look at the reviews, you, yeah, you'll have people saying whatever. But the majority of the reviews, it's they're positive. This game is positive. This game is a very big following in China. You know, it has a lot of players in the East that like it. You know, that's why I wanted to make sure. So I'll say something else, too. I could have written this review not in as much depth as it is now. And definitely I wouldn't have been able to discuss it to this degree in the podcast. I could have had it done six months ago eight months ago nine months ago but I didn't because I, I was I was not comfortable with it I'm like look I don't have enough hours I don't have enough time to put in the hours to figure out the game but once I did the last couple of weeks I had some free time I sat down bam 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 everything started to click and I was like yeah so here's another thing so we can discuss it here now or or maybe you should ask me so ask me about the rating and then I'll continue from there so one of you guys ask me how why I rated the game the way I did
2: All right, Nate, why did you give it a recommend?
1: Okay. First of all, I know there's going to be quite a few people that are going to say recommend. Are you crazy? Did they pay you something? Nope. Nobody paid me anything. Nobody asked me to give it a score. Nobody told me that if I don't give it the score, you know, we're never going to get another game from Iceberg. We're going to be, you know, we're going to get blacklisted. I don't care about any of that. If somebody wants to, you know, blacklist us, whatever, that's their prerogative. We're not... We're not a paid shill for anybody. We try to be the best that we can be, and we try to be as thorough as we can. And I'm as objective as I can be, but i am it's also subjective. This score is a subjective score. But if you put in the hours into the game and you look at the the systems that we're, it is strong in, it is really, really good in its war. It's, the economy of the game is really good. I like the tech tree. I like the decisions that you have to make. Sure, diplomacy can be improved, for sure. The hero system can be improved. But it's not bad. You know what I mean? It works. For, For what it needs to do, it works. And based on that, especially with the fact that the game has been out for a year, and on a regular basis, it is on sale. And they're not charging sixty dollars for this. They're not flooding you with DLC stuff. They're, whenever they release stuff, it's always free. Any update that they include is free. They recently did um, scenario support in the in the Steam Workshop, so you can start making your own scenarios. You know, they. You know, it's the game. It's it's a forty dollar game. It's worth forty dollars. But if it's on sale, it's definitely worth it. And I enjoyed it. I will play it again. And that, to me, is a recommended. Now, there are other games that using the same logic could be recommended, but then I have to think about the greater community. Are a lot of people in the community going to feel the same way? I don't think so. But for Oriental Empires, I think anybody that gives it a chance, anybody that looks at it for what it is, even if you guys like just play for three, four, five more hours, you'll be able to be like, yeah, okay, I see what Nate's talking about. Maybe I don't want to play a war game. Okay, then this is maybe not the game for you. But if you do want to play a war game and you're not happy with how stuff goes in total war, you don't want to be so total war is basically almost an RTS. It's almost like playing StarCraft or War or Warcraft or something like that or Dawn of War, where you, you know, you're constantly assigning units and moving them here and moving them there and you know. Here, it's not. You pick your orders and you're a general. You pick him, you send them, and you get to see what happens. But you get a lot more control. I wish, I wish Endless Legend had this kind of control. I wish Endless Space 2. Can you imagine how amazing Endless Space 2 would be if you had this control? If you could give unit formations, I want to do this. I want to turn in this direction. I want you to hang back and then attack. I want you to do that. You see, you can't do that in the Legend. You can't do that in Stellaris. Stellaris Stellar's like, here's my blob, here's your blob, or in Galsive, the Ships have roles, but, you know, that's they have roles, but they really don't. Here, they do, and you get to see it. And that's what's fun. This is, for me, this is why I feel this way. So, yeah, there's going to be people out there that are going to be like, oh, you're crazy. Okay, I'm crazy. Fine. But I still think it's a good game. And that's why I gave it a recommended. Now, I'm not giving it an exemplary because it's not an exemplary game. It's much closer to consider than it is to exemplary, but it is recommended.
2: All right. Very cool. One last thing. What hmm? did you enjoy most well, about I'll, playing Oriental Empires?
1: Obviously, the combat. So, So, the so first w- time. Why mm-hmm? exactly? Okay. So check this out. So in one of the pictures that's in the article, it's I think towards the bottom. So, okay. I'll, I'll say this too. This is the one that says, um, this is right in the combat section. The, the blurb underneath it is stand fast. So there are a couple of pictures in here that I actually had to grab from online, but I grabbed like official ones from them and I took one from a help guy because it was a really cool picture and I couldn't for the life of me like the diplomacy picture I could never get this kind of diplomacy going because I never focused on it but I did but at the time that I did it I didn't grab a picture it didn't work I made a mistake so I had to grab it but otherwise all the arts from my game. So that picture where it's the stand fast, where you can see like two rows of my units, the cavalrys in the back, you have spearmen up front, you have archers off to the side and things like that. You give them orders. Like I want more archers here. I want my spearmen there. And what happens is every time you move them on the map, when it's their movement turn, you see how these units change direction. Like they wheel about and how they reorganize themselves. And when an engagement, so I had an engagement like that where I... Happened upon an army of a neighbor who I was raiding their territory. They were raiding. That's another thing. So, in this game, even if you don't have, even if you're not at war, you can still raid the surrounding territory. So, they can come and they can pillage your farms. They can pillage your trade routes. You know, it's almost like Cold War. And you can ask them, hey, man, cut it out. And they're like, you're weak. No. And that's it. (laughs) You can't, like, plead with them or anything. Then it's like your only choice after that is you go to war with them. So I happened upon their unit. And in my units, I had a specialized unit that is an ambush unit. These guys, they basically... In a forest, they sneak through the woods. They're skirmishing ambush unit. And when I engaged with these guys, there was a forest to a flank of theirs. So on one side, my horses wheeled around and nailed them from one side right? My cavalry hit him hard, broke them. So they started trying to run. Before they even managed to get run, my unit, my other unit snuck in from the forest and hit him head on between the cavalry and this, this uh, stealthy unit, we pretty much almost wiped them out in a single engagement. That does sound cool. And you can't write that, you know, you try to do that in total war, In the Warhammer games, but like the archers, like, no, no, no. I'm going to step in front and my swordsmen are dumb. I'll just use my bows to beat on them. Or, oh, look, here they are. I'm just going to stand here and stare at them instead of peppering them with arrows. You know, you have all kinds of weirdness happen there. Whereas here, it's the opposite. The only weirdness like this that I saw had to do with settlements. So that's another thing you guys didn't ask me. So I might as well talk about it a little bit here. So in the game... In my review, I mentioned that you never leave your cities, your towns, your cities, whatever. You never leave them undefended. Always have a couple of units in there. Because if they're undefended, any unit can walk in and take over your city. Your city does not fight back With there's no... The citizens don't mount, you know, the catapults and start dropping, you know, stuff on them from the sky. You know, it doesn't work like that. So... When you're building your city, you want to build a wall around it. And then you want to upgrade your wall to like bigger, better, stronger, because it creates choke points. Because what happens is is that when you have a battle, your walls, you can have fewer units in your city defending it, and you have to have siege units. So early siege units are archery units. You know, you're trying to get arrows, trying to knock, you know, kill the people in the walls and whatnot. So as you're building up your city, you're creating four choke points, one in each direction. When you are creating units, especially if your city is being sieged, if it's not being sieged on all four sides, you can tell you can specify where you want your unit to come out of for combat. So when you make a new you know unit, you can say South Gate, and if it's not being sieged, they basically get to leave the city and attack. You know what game gives you that kind of an option? Good point you know so there's there's a lot of depth like that and it's it grows and like it the battle changes and like if you have reinforcements and in one turn you're trying to like box them in so they go let's say you're you're go and you can have armies that are huge like really big you know if you have enough authority and if you have enough support you can have big armies it looks it's cool it's really cool so that that was my favorite by far my favorite part the other thing i really liked i liked all the encounters, because I kept finding these really funky ones and there's some fun ones. And remember I was telling you about the merchant. So there was one with a merchant and it took me so long to get to him that by the time I got to him, his wife was there and she's like, he waited for you for so long, he died. Can you pay for his burial? And I was just like, okay, that's pretty funny. You know, there's other ones like that. So that's, that's what I really enjoyed. And I mean, that's what it is. It's a war game. It's a 4X with a war game emphasis. And based on that alone, It's good. And I don't think it disrespects the lore, the history of China, their legacy. This game, I mean, again, I'm not Chinese. I'm not a historian. I cannot say, but there's nothing like that in here. And it's not fantastical, like, you know, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. You know, there is a warring state scenario. That's what the romance, that's part of the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. It happens during a particular time in that era. But there's no, you know, no heroes that are Lu Bei or whatever with their weapons flying and doing crazy Kung Fu, none of that stuff. All right. Very so. cool.
2: So is there anything you want to say before we close this one up? Uh, no, not,
1: not, not, nothing that I haven't said already. There's more. I mean, I, there's a lot more that I haven't gone over. So one of the major things I didn't discuss at all, like our edicts. And as an emperor, you're making these edicts. So basically, you... As the leader of your group, you say, okay, so all of my nobles, all of you must ride horses. I do not want any nobles on foot. And that's like, that's weird, right? Sounds kind of strange, right? But at the same time, that's like a show of your power. It also makes your nobles more powerful because they have, you know, they're they're more expensive, but they're also better trained as a result. But it also makes some peasants unhappy because, like, what the hell? Why do they get to ride horses? Why can't we ride horses, you know? So there's edicts like that. And if you have issues with – you can control your happiness – through edicts you can control your taxes through edicts if if you're running low on money you can pass an edict that you tax more but then as a result there's more unhappiness and there could be a rebellion so you know there's there's a lot of little things like that in there and there's different types of units another thing is there's like the peasant there's peasants there's units that are um like uh, cl- like not clan oh, one sec one second tribesmen there you go so you have tribesmen units that are different they have they're similar but they have different stats and then you have like the convict units which are you know i I was talking about them in the review they're pretty cool so anyways yeah i think and and then there's the siege weapons and stuff like that and then of course later on you develop fire gunpowder and you have weapons from that you know ships but again i never really messed with ships so i can't say about that but that's it I, i i like this game and I, I stand by my rating for it. There's, not, there's support. The game is not abandoned. Uh, you don't have developers that are disrespectful to the community. Like I do, I do not want to mention, but we've dealt with a few of them in the past, and these guys are not it. They support the game. There are no shenanigans in the game. When the game came out, it was playable, very playable. I think in the whole time I've played, I had a single crash in the past year. And that had something to do with, like, a, a weird combination of events, I think, is what led to it. Now, it doesn't slow down. When you have a lot of units in the field, it doesn't slow down. If you don't like slow animations, you can actually speed up the animations. So, I mean, and you owe it all you know one I'll tell you one more thing I love about the game I love the way the zoom works so you can do like zoom all the way out and you can zoom all the way in in the middle of combat you can rotate you can like like it's probably my favorite camera in any 4x game right now is what Oriental Empires has I wish Endless Space had that
2: yeah no doubt I agree the camera was pretty good um Joshua is there anything else you want to say before we close this one up
0: no, I am out of questions. I have been drained. <laughs> right. Very good.
2: So we'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. We want to thank our Patreons for supporting us. We really appreciate that. This has been Troy, Josh, and Nate for Explorminate. Take care, everyone. See ya.